Have you heard about the new MagnaGrip Pro Nozzle? The MagnaGrip Pro Nozzle is the easiest, most advanced nozzle ever, protecting you from the dangers of diesel exhaust fumes. With its patented flex magnet technology, the Pro Nozzle easily attaches with one hand from a standing position, can snap on from any angle, and fits flush to the apparatus, saving a ton of space. And MagnaGrip is the only exhaust removal system that offers a true 100% seal. For free grant assistance and to learn more, go to magnagrip.com. Taking it to the streets is all about advancing firefighter safety and operational integrity for the fire service through provocative insights and dynamic discussions dedicated to both the art and science of firefighting and the traditions of the fire service. The focus at Taking It to the Street continues to be straightforward, street-level talk with intelligent, stimulating, and provocative insights and dynamic discussion with interactive dialogue and, most importantly, listener participation. Just like around the kitchen table or in the day room over a cup of coffee at 02.30 after a good run. And now, the latest edition of Taking It to the Streets with your host, Christopher Nall. Welcome, everyone, to this edition of Buildings on Fire's Taking It to the Streets. I'm your host, Christopher Nall. I want to thank everyone who's listening live. We are transmitting live currently. And, uh, again, I want to thank everyone for taking the time out of your busy schedules, whether you're listening live or whether you're, you've downloaded the program and you're listening at your leisure. We certainly do appreciate your investment of time and, uh, again, appreciate your uh, diligence in following through. We continue to deliver uh, quality programming specifically dealing with the built environment. And we've had an opportunity uh, just this week here on one of our other episodes, uh, and actually on one of our other colleagues' episode, a good friend of mine, Chief Danny Sheraton, who does the first arriving, or excuse me, first due battalion chief program here on Fire Engineering Blog Talk Radio. We did a program just a couple of nights ago uh, talking about uh, building reads. And we spent about uh, 60 minutes or so talking about some generalities um, both from the command and company officer standpoint about building reads. And it touched upon a number of different issues, some, some of which, again, are anecdotal, things that continue, continue to influence us when we talk about sizing up the fire ground, looking at building conditions, the operational perspectives, identifying priorities and demands, and, and how to orchestrate both the indicators that we see, our, our gut check in terms of what we are anticipating, uh, based upon our experience, based upon what those visual cues and, and other sensory cues may be. And there's certainly a lot more to it than that brief dialogue. Now, one of our other episodes in uh, 2022, I think in the last quarter of 22, we got into some details um, on the built environment as it related to fireground size up. And very specifically, we actually talked about some original research that we had done about the origins of, of the fire service, size up, different characteristics going back actually 
to the late 1920s and early 1930s with the uh, issuance of the Fire Chief's Handbook, the first publication. That Fire Chief's Handbook uh, that was published by the International Association of Fire Chiefs and the collective author on that was Fred Shepard, who did a phenomenal job at that time in collecting the best practices and the availability of knowledge that was still developing in the, in the very early stages in even in that time, they called it the modern era of, of the fire service. But in the late 1920s, early 1930s, there was a, an identified need to capture in a single source document, meaning a publication, uh, best practices discussing the evolving nature and the demands of the fire service as it existed in the late 1920s and, and then subsequently as published in 1932. That was the first um, identified textbook specific to different principles and practices and methodologies of firefighting. And we talked extensively about that in two of our previous episodes uh, related to that. Now, going back to our episode just a couple of nights ago on the first due battalion chief with Chief Sheridan, we talked about some aspects specific to, again, building reads, and wanted to build upon that conversation. Our previous episode in January uh, of this year, 2023, we talked about fireground architecture, and we introduced the concept. And again, for those of you that have been following our programs for any length of time, we try to dovetail and provide some consistencies in the themes and in the presentations. And we introduced some aspects of dealing with the, the, the need, the, the, the profound need to increase our knowledge base and skill-based levels in the built environment, in the building sciences, far beyond what we currently are either aware of or what we've been implementing, what many of the formative textbooks uh, might indicate or, or promote, um, they all fall short. They all fall short in the extent of the types of information that one needs to attain, retain, and expand upon. And I say that with the highest degree of, of um, I think, relevance and um, um, authoritative comments. I mean, when, when we talk about what, and, and again, there's a lot of great, great textbooks that are out there, but they are all, again, with all due respect, they, they are limiting in the extent and the scope in which some of the topical areas that we've talked about, whether it be size up, whether it be the built environment, building construction, um, other related aspects, they are limiting by virtue of the extent of the chapters, you know, the kind of information that the publishers will normally uh, uh, migrate to. Uh, there are a few books out there, some very exceptional books uh, that's, that are very specific to fireground size up and other related uh, aspects. But again, there are um, there's various aspects to them that will just sort of leave for another discussion. But uh, primarily what I wanted to do on this particular episode was expand upon some information that we introduced, again, in Chief Sheraton's program on uh, reading buildings on the first new battalion chief, and then also on our previous episode in January of 2023, dealing with uh, fireground architecture. And this builds upon the previous conversation that occurred in late 22, dealing with fireground size up and some other aspects. We've, we've talked about some of these building read 
applications, and we want to expand upon that. As many of you may be aware of, uh, again, through our promotions and advertisements, you know, we talked about this particular episode dealing with the four reads. And those four reads deal with reading the fire ground, reading the building, reading the fire, and then reading the companies. And I want to provide some and uh, elaborate a little bit further about how these came to be. We've actually been talking about these relationships for well over 20 years. We, we first introduced the concepts in the late 1990s, early 2000s, and I think more with a, a higher degree of uh, formality in some of our publications and online publications on both command safety and then ultimately in the evolving uh, website that we had or a blog site on fire around leadership. We've been promoting and discussing through these small um, sound bites of information uh, the concepts of three integrated components that form the basis of why we have these four reads. And some of you may be more familiar with reading the building. Uh, that seems to have become a, a, a common terminology in, in many uh, fire service circles over the last number of years. We actually coined that term, reading the building, back in 2003 as it related to, again, our I think our, our ground swell movement um, when we discussed three specific interrelated aspects um, that try to simplify the fire ground. And I'll give you a little insight as we get into this uh, in, in our program. So we're not going to get into uh, an elaborate discussion. Again, for those of you that are listening live, we are uh, live currently, and our call-in number is area code 760 454-8852 if you're interested in uh, joining the conversation as we get underway. I would just ask you to hold off a little bit uh, for maybe a 15, uh, maybe about 20, 20 minutes or so, maybe a little after the top of the hour here as we get into some items here that I want to at least present and then, uh, again, provide some basis of, of what these building reads are. We strongly advocate it and, and firmly believe that these four specific aspects, both, and again, they're distinctively different, although associated with some similarities, they are distinctively different at the tactical company level and the types of reads that uh, the first two commanding officer or first in, uh, chief officer would initiate or continue with uh, following the first two uh, companies arriving at scene. So, Again, it's either going to be concurrent activities in which uh, companies arrive, initial uh, size-up is being performed at the tactical level by the companies, both internal and external, and then there's also additional uh, types of size-ups that are done at the command level that either, again, continue with what has been transmitted, communicated, uh, indications, whether it be face-by-face, -face, uh, radio communications and such. Uh, whatever the type of communication process, there is this continuation and continuum that the incident commander upon arrival would, uh, again, either validate what the assumptions were, um, ascertain whether they are good and factual and lead credence and credit to what is being implemented regarding the incident priorities, the severities, the urgency, and the growth, and continue with the, the operations. And, again, we want to be talking about engagement when we talk about companies and command officers and not go into auto drive or not get into an automatic mode of operation because unfortunately in many instances we are either in SOP driven operations 
construction-driven operations or tactical-driven operations without the utilization of critical assessment. And again, whether you just utilize the term size up um, or risk assessment, and I know in some circles the risk assessment has been given a uh, significantly bad rap by that terminology, and there's plenty, plenty of uh, internet rhetoric that goes back and forth uh, regarding that. Fundamentally, when we arrive on scene, and again, we talk about structural fires within uh, our built environments, they do demand some degree, and again, I, and I preface that, that they do demand some degree of assessment uh, to evaluate, to determine, and whether those indicators that we are seeing, that we are hearing, that we've got information on, building intel and so forth, um, whether they are valid, whether they are invalid, whether we are making presumptions, presumptions, whether our gut check is giving us some insights. And we have to be able to move through these in a very, very efficient and effective manner with some degree of reliance. And that reliance and reliability defaults back to the level of understanding. I'll say this again, our built environment, again, we talk about performance-driven operations. The built environment is developing faster with greater complexity, with greater hazards and risks to firefighters and to the fire ground than our tactical models are providing for. And that clearly is a driving factor. There are some very good conversations occurring uh, online within the classroom settings at the academies, within the conference settings, whether it be FDIC or other regional or national uh, deliveries and conferences that continue to provide dialogue and uh, good constructive conversations on how to identify the improvements on a very, very demanding fire ground, which is unlike any fire ground of the past. And again, I'll leave that for another conversation because again, that's, it's a passionate item for some guys. Again, it defaults back to looking. I, I agree or disagree, and uh, all they want to do is stretch the line going in, and that's certainly good to one extent. But uh, in the big scheme of things, when we talk about construction, occupancies, we talk about the defining aspects of fire ground conditions and parameters, and really the importance, the utmost importance on providing the highest degree of service and life-sustaining capabilities to those that we serve. The public demands the highest availability and execution of our, uh, of our first due response and, and those resources. So we're going to get into some of those aspects. And again, we've talked about tactical-driven operations in the past. But when we talk about some of the conditions here um, on a fire ground, especially with the first two, uh, the first two in particular, there's a number of different uh, attributes. And, again, it's typically the first part of uh, either a single or a, a part of an expanded tactical box, whatever that alarm response, uh, the resources, the, the, the uh, amount of personnel, the amount uh, and availability and the capabilities of those companies regarding both the apparatus, the personnel, the human performance part of it that we'll talk about, and uh, their ability to interface in that, in that incident. So, again, it's single or part of that tactical box. It's the time in which we first put our eyes on the building and on the incident and in the evolving parameters of that. It helps to also define the priorities based upon those conditions, establishes and sets the actions, establishes and sets the direction, uh, and, again, also establishes or passes the command, depending upon whether we are the tactical mode or the command mode and how you're set up uh, from an operational perspective and who does what 
at what period of time, and how that transfer of initial command, um, or you, you merely go into a, a tactical mode based upon the, the availability of that first arriving command officer, again, typically in certain types of environmental settings, in the urban environment, in the metro environment, or, or any environment in which we have a timely uh, response and arrival of uh, command personnel. Uh, sometimes, again, companies will default directly to tactical modes of operation, initiate the actions at the company level, and command does their thing upon arrival, does the size of it, and goes to work. Um, all of these have influencing aspects on command and tactical decision-making. If you don't believe that, then you're foolish, I would say, from the standpoint of not recognizing the importance of an effective and timely size up and evaluation of that particular structure and those conditions. Um, and again, we'll throw in tactical discipline, tactical agility, tactical mobility. There are five predominant risks associated with the first two. And in our opinion, these, these five are interrelated. And again, although there's room for conversation and debate, we strongly believe that again, once we get through the debatable aspects of this, uh, we feel that these five are, are very critical toward overall operations. And those include both the uh, uh, aspect of building structural integrity, which has a direct influence on our overall operations. We have the aspects of the compartment and building fire. And I'll say this right off the bat, that the compartment is so critical to the building, and we'll talk more about that interrelationship here in a moment, because that is one of the fundamental blocks that gets us into this conversation of reading the fire ground, reading the building, reading the compartment, or slash reading the fire, reading smoke. But it all has to do with compartment characteristics and, and how that builds into it. Uh, the sustainability and the availability of water, the types of resources, and, and that clearly ties into our conversation on reading the company, especially from a human performance standpoint. And the fifth attribute is the attribute of time. Those are the five most predominant elements that influence decision-making, influence tactical modes of operation, and certainly influence in the larger scale um, aspects dealing with the decision-making process, both, again, at the tactical company and at the uh, command level. So we've expanded and talked a little bit about those in some uh, previous conversations. But again, it's all part and parcel of a bigger model. So much of our conversation continues to be derived from our building facts model, and that is F-A-C-T-S, building facts, first arriving, construction, tactics, and safety. We've built this model over a couple of decades of time, first, first uh, developed in the late 1990s and further explored and fine-tuned over the last uh, 15 to 20 years. But the building facts model continues to be a significant element in our promotion and advocation of how important understanding building construction is. And with that being said, there are some different elements that when they are looked upon individually, tactically, operationally, from a methodological standpoint, in other words, the process that we've implemented for the last 75 to 80 years, again, going all the way back to 1932. In 1932, that first edition of the, of the Fire Chief's Handbook explicitly got into best practices. They talked about even the term opening up. And again, I would, without going into uh, elaborate uh, um, 
conversations about the details of it, we did explore and talk about that in our previous episode. Um, that again, if you go into the archives, you'll find some insights both in that episode and in one or two of our other ones where we further explored the origins of some of the things that we are currently doing today that we found the genesis of in some of the uh, textbooks and so forth. So when we take a look at those aspects, again, there's different uh, influencing stressors related to risk on the first two, dealing with the compartment, the building, and the structure as it relates to the fire, uh, compartment, building, and fire behavior, resiliency and integrity, the predictability of our buildings, the aspects of compromise and collapse, and certainly the elements of both human performance and the S of both building and human performance of the companies. And that relates to this concept of RIT. And the concept of RIT relative to the building and to um, the aspects of the company from a human performance standpoint is the considerations of resiliency, integrity, and time. From a building standpoint, resiliency, integrity, and time have everything to do with how the building's performance is, and it's no different than what we now are continuing to advocate as we have for quite a number of years now, the performance capabilities and or limitations, both the positive and the negative, the human performance capabilities of the company and how we need to plug that in as a variable uh, within the fire ground operational models. And that relates back to the resiliency and the integrity and the time duration in which companies perform on the fire ground. So uh, a lot of different aspects there that we are, we're sort of uh, putting out there. Uh, but, again, they are very important to, to gain some insights on. Um, I will say this, that uh, previously when all of our blog and websites were up and running and were fully functional, much of this information was readily accessible and you could – just type in and, and quickly Google, and it would take you to any one of the either the Buildings on Fire website, the FireGroundLeadership.com, uh, Command Leadership, the Fire Officer Leadership. Those are all currently undergoing a uh, extensive makeover. We are consolidating all of those. They previously existed on FireEngineering.com's uh, FireEMS blog site. Uh, that went dark about uh, 24 months ago. And, again, we've taken all of that data, all that information. We are completely redoing the Buildings on Fire site. We are integrating that under uh, sort of an informational portal. Uh, so Buildings on Fire will be a portal destination. And then from there you can uh, select the separate functional area that one might want to gain some insights on. We're going to have a separate one on reading the buildings. It will be readingthebuildings.com. Another separate one on building construction for the fire service and modern methods of construction. Uh, we'll have uh, firegroundleadership.com, thefireofficer.com, thebattalionchief.com, and more importantly, a very robust resource area for you to be able to download and access just about everything that we've been talking about over the last couple of years, and, and again, be able to archive and go back into all of the historical documents that uh, really span about 25 years' worth of online information that we started putting out in the late 1990s, early 2000s. So uh, keep an eye out for that, and I think that'll help fill in the blanks for you. For those of you that uh, are going to be attending FDIC in April, I would encourage you to uh, – Stop in. We're going to be doing our class on Thursday morning of uh, FDIC week on the Fire Officer's Guide to uh, Today's Buildings on Fire. 
and we will talk more about this and the limitations of our 90-minute uh, pre-classroom presentation, but we will get into that and uh, really explore some of the details. Now let me take a step back and, and talk about these four reads. So again, we talked about reading the fire ground, reading the building, reading the department, and reading the company. And I've explained a little bit about some of the issues. When we talk about reading the company, it's all about company level, capabilities, limitations, and how they relate to the execution of task level operations, even, even just the tactical assignments that the company may have. Now, part of the challenges is this, is that for many organizations, there is not a consistency in the capabilities and um, execution of various companies upon their arrival. In other words, you may have some companies in a battalion, in a district, maybe even in a division to some degree, but uh, when we talk about multiple company responses, there are very few departments in the United States or even internationally that one could actually state that there is a high degree of consistency in the execution, in the human performance capability. It's both physical, mental, it's performance-based regarding time expansion and duration of time, um, the execution of a particular task and how that relates to the elapse of time. It is such a critical aspect on today's fireground. And I'll explain to you a little bit of how this sort of came to be. So we talked about the first arriving construction tactics and safety as being formative to our building facts model. And again, our building facts model also relates back to another model that relates to five fundamental fireground considerations. And we first conceived this and actually presented this at FDIC back in the early 2000s, and we've been fine-tuning it ever since. We developed the model around five fundamental working domains on today's fireground, and actually on any fireground. If we talk about all of the complexities, all of the different facets of, of fireground operations, our suggested um, um, key performance areas include the following. It's command or command management, it's building construction, it's risk management, it's safety management, and human performance. So those five fundamental items are directly interrelated. We've talked in our other programs um, extensively over the last number of years about five fundamental pieces just within the building construction area. We've talked about building anatomy. We've talked about occupancy risk and occupancy types and, and characteristics of that. Uh, for building anatomy and uh, construction items, we've introduced the concept of era and vintage. Again, we, we conceived that based upon our understanding of engineering, architectural uh, studies and principles and methodologies, and we're the first to make this correlation of how to size up and, and how important era and vintage in which buildings were built, how that relates back to key indicators and insights that one can learn in a building construction uh, type of class or an integrated building construction and tactical class that there are very uh, specific predictability of performance attributes that are directly related to era and vintage that relate back to construction, that influence tactics, and have a bearing on safety. That's, again, the, the uh, basis of our building facts acronym and how it really is an integrated approach to not only simplify what we are trying to do, but it provides some continuity and provides some logic and uh, a, a good basis to be able to quickly move into a level of, of task level operations. The relationships as it first was developed 
revolved around three components. So we introduced the building facts concept. But out of that, again, when we talk about fire ground performance and relationship of fire ground operations, again, through our 40-plus years of, of fire ground experience, through our learnings, and again, through other conversations with many other colleagues throughout the United States and even internationally, we constantly kept asking and, and pushing forward the question, what do you think are the you know, five or six fundamental aspects of the fire ground? And that's where, again, our five-star command model came about that we just discussed. So it was through a, a lot of anecdotal trial and error along with some forma, uh, formal research that we developed that came up with these five suggested areas. Out of that, we also related and started connecting these dots regarding three fundamental pieces on today's fire ground. Uh, or, and again, fire ground of the past and, and, and even its application today. They relate back to, and again, we're talking about the aspect of structural fire ground operations. Talking about the building, talking about the compartment, talking about the company. Those three are so intertwined and integrated and interrelated that each one has significant influence on the other when we talk about tactical operations. So we've been promoting this uh, concept of the building, and the building has, again, if, if studied in an appropriate manner. We talked about this on, on, uh, with, with Chief Sheridan. When Danny and I got into this discussion about certain building types that, again, based upon where they may be built, based upon age and vintage, based upon certain characteristics, they are very predictable regarding their performance. When we talk about the building construction, their predictability performance, the era and anatomy, um, uh, the era and vintage, the building's anatomy, and the related risk. But again, that might be different if I'm talking about a particular building that's in Hunts Point in the Bronx versus something that's in uh, the market uh, um, the marketplace area of uh, downtown uh, Omaha or in Whiskey Row in uh, Lexington, or or someplace in uh, in the in the downtown area of San Francisco um, or or LA, that building may have some similarities, but its application of where and how it's built, its location, and other considerations will play out in that. The compartment has everything to do with fire location, at least some degree. And then again, that compartment and its relationship to, to fire. There are 14 different types of fire conditions based upon where they may locate, whether it's compartment fire internal, whether there's auto extension. So uh, just to give you a, a brief little commentary, again, there's compartment to compartment exposure, there's compartment to void, compartment to exterior, there's compartment to exterior to, uh, again, void going from a compartment, auto extension, lapping up the side of the face of the structure, getting into an eave line, and then getting into a truss or cockwalk compartment. So We've identified this whole series of different types of fire-based conditions, but ultimately they all rest with a compartment. For many of us, when we talk about uh, room and contents, uh, compartment fires and structural fires, certainly in the 80s and 90s, there were very distinctively different attributes of those related terms and how they related to what we could expect or what we actually had upon our arrival and our operations. So there was this relationship that we conceived regarding, again, building compartment and company as it relates to construction, tactics, and safety. And I'm going to lead you through a couple of different elements here, and then we'll talk a bit more about the, the, the four reads. So when we talked about the concept of first arriving 
construction, tactics, and safety. And follow through, again, in the absence of visuals, uh, we'll have some great visuals. And actually, we may post these uh, online on either Facebook or on our Twitter pages over the next couple of days. But um, this all had a relationship back to the concept of adaptive fire ground management and how we have to utilize a much more adaptive versus prescriptive approach in many certain building types. Now, for those jurisdictions that have consistencies based upon the vintage, based upon construction, based upon the usage um, in your first due, in your divisions, in your battalions, um, in your municipalities, and metro-sized areas in particular, there's going to be consistencies, and that's going to be not a variable, but a consistent that takes the variable out of that. So when we talk about construction, again, all buildings have a predictability performance, as I've indicated. Uh, and again, when we talk about fire ground conditions, um, all buildings have compartments, either a single compartment that comprises the entire structure uh, that has some type of an enclosure to it, or it may be a series of compartments, both horizontal and vertical, and how they are interconnected. Again, what's the connectivity? Does that compartment open up to the exterior? Does the compartment open up to another compartment? Does the compartment open up to a ancillary or common area? So stop and think about how your rooms are configured, large or small, commercial, retail, multiple occupancies, residential, all compartments, whether it be singular or multiple, have very distinctive characteristics. And the important element here when we talk about that aspect it relates back to exposure to fire, heat impingement, fire dynamics. What is the compartment's resiliency? What is the part compartment's resistance? And it goes back to the fundamental aspect of the compartment as the fundamental uh, smallest component of the building, either singular or multiple compartments that create a building. Each compartment has some degree uh, on a sliding scale from, from negligible uh, or zero all the way up to extreme in which the resiliency and integrity are, are very, very critical to this decision-making. But all compartments have a degree of resiliency as just the, the common term. And that relates back to construction. So just three common elements that have a, a high degree of influence regarding the construction of that particular building. When we talk about the tactics, Again, it's, it's pretty simple and straightforward. The compartment is where the fire typically is going to be located or where it extends. Um, that compartment may be a void uh, or it may be a occupied or habitable type of space, uh, one in which we can enter, uh, one that may have other related uh, aspects to it in terms of its occupancy usages and risks. But the compartment normally is associated with where the fire originates. But if we talk about the room as the fundamental aspect of the compartment, fire within the compartment, that is where companies will typically go to and we have a degree of engagement. So there are four specific aspects that influence our tactics, the compartment, the fire, the company or companies, and our degree of engagement. And our engagement is our tactics. And then the third element that relates back to the company, and that uh, relates back to safety. Uh, the company's capabilities, both positive or negative, or the limitations, or the limiting factors. Sometimes it may be the entire company. Sometimes it may be the individual. So when we talk about human performance as it relates back to levels of risk and the availability of resources, so follow through on this. 
the safety component of construction tactics and safety first for our first arriving relates back to company, the company's capabilities, again, either in the positive or the negative, uh, the availability of resources, even inclusive of the number of resources, meaning the staffing level of that company. Do I have a four, five, or six, or two-person staffed uh, company? And that relates back to the capabilities, which also equates back to an identifiable level of risk. So it may be the individual. It may be the individual that's part of the team. It may be the team that's part of the company. It may be a three, two, four, five-person staffed company that has a, an identifiable level of risk that all relates back to that capability, that human performance part of it. And that's one area that we have just started, uh, I think, introducing into the fire service. There's a few colleagues out there over the last couple of years, uh, just prior to COVID, I believe, uh, there were some, some interesting programs and a couple of leadership classes that uh, were the first that I saw outside of uh, some of my area and background that started talking about human performance. And prior to that, human performance uh, was not really discussed much in the fire service setting. Uh, the, the closest we came to talking about human performance was when we introduced crew resource management. And Chief uh, Dennis Rubin, again, was a significant advocate and promoter of crew resource management based on adverse near misses and line of duty deaths. Um, that was really born out of both the military and the aviation industry that was introduced in the concepts that were brought forward to the American Fire Service talking about crew, crew resource management. Um, Chief Rubin has made some attempts in the last couple of years to resurrect some of those uh, concepts and bring forward into the mainstream some things that I think uh, really sort of faded away, uh, sort of faded into the, uh, uh, into the woodwork, uh, and we're really not as – uh, as visible as they should be in the current context. Now, another group, uh, the International Association of Fire Chiefs, through the near-miss reporting system, again, in the last couple of years, is making some attempts to introduce the concepts of, of uh, human performance as they relate to, again, some of the current evolving best practices that are not only born out of the military, but also born out of aviation and high-risk uh, industries, specific, again, especially in my background, uh, the nuclear uh, utilities industry. So any uh, processes, whether it be petrochemical, uh, the chemical industries, nuclear in particular, because nuclear, again, back uh, again about 15 years ago, really embraced human performance. Uh, I was directly involved in, in a lot of human performance-related work for emergency service responders as well as uh, general workers within the labor management workforce environment dealing with uh, introducing, reinforcing, and actually uh, developing a culture in which human performance became part of an institutionalized day-to-day -day type of activity that was both consciously and subconsciously implemented that was all meant to help reduce or eliminate error-likely situations, improve performance based upon accountability, based upon uh, knowledge, skill set levels, um, all these different attributes. But really the, the main focal point was to have error reduction efforts to eliminate or reduce error potential so that we had a high degree of proficiency and efficiency 
in a high degree of success upon uh, conditions that, unlike our fire ground operations, where an error emission can have significant uh, 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 repercussions. And they could lead to an injury. They could just lead to uh, an inappropriate tactic being deployed where we burn maybe more property down than uh, we could have saved. So it's property losses that equate back to uh, uh, dollar values. Uh, there's also included in that uh, both civilian and firefighter injuries or civilian and firefighter fatalities. Um, but, again, there's a lot of different attributes that have both monetary and other related implications that relate back to error likely situations, error reduction, based upon what we call HU, human performance elements, and I'll talk a little bit more about that. So when we put all those together, especially at the safety level, company capabilities, resource, and levels of risk, and the capabilities, resources, and risk relate back to human performance. So when we put all those together, that is the basis, that is the thesis of how we developed the considerations of, again, reading the building initially, reading the compartment and the, and the profound implications of compartment reads, both uh, fire, smoke, other characteristics of the compartment from a building construction standpoint, and then our introduction of reading the companies. And again, we're certainly not going to have enough time to explore all of the inner workings of that, but I think it's going to be interesting as we continue to promote the concepts, as we continue to be able to present nationally across the United States, through our programs, uh, and hopefully within the near ter term here in the first quarter of, uh, of this year when we do roll out our new blog and website, we'll be able to uh, provide some downloads and more informational items. We are moving forward um, with a more robust degree of uh, publication capabilities with uh, fire engineering in particular, both online as well as the print publication. Uh, and, again, I, I would encourage you to just keep an eye out for some of these things that will be coming about in the, uh, the not-too-distant future. I don't have a, an ex, uh, explicit time frame on it, but, again, these are all self-funded. And as we come out of uh, the post-COVID areas, try to identify these opportunities. Uh, first and foremost, again, there's some, some great things that are occurring at FDIC with some of the information that will be presented. But, again, if you've been listening to our programs, um, as well as a number of other colleagues that are out there that have been talking about some of our pieces here. Um, they continue this thread and our, our ability to connect the dots, uh, per se. So when we talk about the fire ground, we typically size up or evaluate the fire ground sort of as it relates to the building. But, again, there are some layers, and there are, there are specific uh, cascading bullets, for, for better words, that assessing the fire ground as it relates to a formal evaluation, and the best way to connotate that to what we've been doing of recent, uh, certainly over the last 15 to 18 years, is the uh, implementation and the institutionalization of the 360. Now, I think the 360, as it was initially conceptualized and introduced in the early 2000s, was met with some indifference, and it continues to be met with indifference, depending upon whether you're talking to one group or another group of firefighters, uh, depending upon the environments that they're operating. Some would say it's impossible to do. Others may say it's too timely uh, or, or it's, uh, it's not an effective uh, utilization of efforts when we talk about fast water, stretching the line, and performing other prioritized functions. But 
again, in terms of utilizing critical thinking and evaluating and not being surprised by conditions that may or may not be readily identified at some stage and process, both the 360 as a task-level activity. I mean, even Brunacini, as, as, uh, as he discussed in the early days of the Fireground Commander models and concepts in the mid-1980s and into the late 1980s, and again, he talked about command, uh, uh, remote command, where we've got uh, the company officer taking command, uh, establishing command, but, but in a forward uh, process and a forward position while they were mobile, while they were utilizing, again, uh, the timeliness of operations, but again, utilizing uh, communications information, whether we talk about the CAN reports, the size of reports, we've got to be efficient, we've got to be able to streamline it, we've got to have building intel more readily available to us on the front end, but in the big scheme of things, we've got to take into account at least some critical uh, considerations of topography, layout, the footprint of the building. footprint of the building just in itself, as we've talked about this in previous episodes, is so important. Do I have a, do I have a compact footprint that is more compact in, in size relative to its footprint versus the vertical? Um, or do I have a footprint that is very expansive and extensive in terms of thousands, tens of thousands, or hundreds or millions of square feet in, in size and complexity, and that's uh, certainly a, a criticality when we talk about those elements. I will just quickly reintroduce you before I get too far along. Um, again, one of the other aspects when we talk about reads, so there's fireground reads, building reads, to simplify some of those aspects. There's five fundamental aspects of looking at our buildings, and those relate back to the roof systems, taking a look at perimeter walls and enclosures, uh, the floor assembly and or ceiling assembly, considerations for the compartment or compartments, and the absence or presence of void. Those five, we believe, and I strongly advocate, are the most critical based upon an initial assessment. And they all have, again, a series of cascading bullets that are attributes that one would look at. But again, as I size up, as I promote size up, both at the tactical and command level, uh, assessing building roof conditions, perimeter wall conditions. Uh, and again, those are characteristic. What are they made of? What, what do we have related to the compartment? And then we include, as we talked about, the compartment and or the absence or presence of voids and what we can uh, either assume or that we know as far as uh, fire propagation, fire migration, fire extension, and so forth. So these are all inherent, but it's five fundamental pieces from that uh, particular standpoint. Uh, we're about, um, let's see, we are about, uh, we're about 45 minutes in our operation. Let's take a, a quick little break here. Uh, for those of you that are listening in, we're just going to take a quick five-minute break, and uh, we're going to uh, just queue up a couple of uh, information items. I'm going to play uh, an old version uh, uh, commercial here in a moment, and then we'll be back. I'm going to grab a quick cup of coffee, and we'll be right back in a five-minute break for our continuation and conclusion on, on our four reads here. So stand by for that for a minute. Looking for timely information and insights to support today's fire service demand? Firegroundleadership.com provides outstanding e-media offerings across a broad range of topics that include lessons from the fireground, building construction and fire dynamics, adaptive fireground management, tactical discipline, and much more. Firegroundleadership.com, 
operational excellence on today's evolving fireground, a buildingsonfire.com series, now on Penwell's Fire EMS blog, a part of the fireengineering.com, Firefighter Nation, Fire Rescue Magazine, eMedia Services. And we're back. All right, so we've got about uh, maybe another 15 or so minutes we're going to uh, invest in our program here. So we talk about some different aspects of our building. And I, and I made reference back to, from a building anatomy standpoint, or our, our BEAR acronym. Again, it's all about understanding the aspects of the building, uh, of which there are our POPs, the predictability performance, it is the era and vintage, it is the anatomy of the building, and uh, its related levels of risk. So talking a little bit more about reading the fire ground, uh, just some simple aspects when we talk about site footprint, uh, site orientation. Uh, what is the siting of the building? What is the orientation of the building? What is the prox- proximity to other related structures or, or other related attributes and conditions, whether it be environmental, uh, built environments or natural condition, even something relative to topography. Uh, what type of orientation do we have relative to the different divisions of the structure? Uh, time and time again, we've seen through near-miss reporting, line of duty deaths, uh, the alpha or number one division of the structure upon arrival that seems to be always our primary location of, of arrival may distinctively be different than one of the other divisions and more often than not, especially with residential structures in particular, but not uncommon in both commercial, retail, and business-type structures. Um, we may have a different type of uh, elevation and, or grade change based upon topographical uh, conditions, topography, and elevation changes. So entry onto the number one side may be into the number two floor, number one floor. But again, if I, I do my 360-180, I go to the back of the building and I find that I'm entering into a basement or sub-basement. Again, I cannot stress enough about getting guys up on the roof to, to peer over the the, um, the uh, Charlie division or the number three division of the structure, uh, side or divisions, whatever your nomenclature may be, but getting eyes on what's occurring in the alleyway on that backside of that structure, whether you're going from front to rear uh, or front vertical to the roof area um, or accessing the front via an aerial device and getting to the rear of the structure uh, via the roof area, it's so, so critical to get the building intel of what's occurring on that alternate side or multiple sides. Again, it's not just the rear of the building. Uh, there may be various types of uh, shaftway areas that are not visible, especially with certain types of structures in the, both the metro, the urban environments, and so forth. We're talking about old law, new law tenements. We're talking about row housing. I mean, there's just a whole variety of different things. And then we throw in some of the new construction. We talk about hybrid commercial construction, podium construction. There's a whole variation of, of new attributes and, and new learnings that we've got to get programmed into thinking. But, again, critically looking at reading the fire ground regarding attributes and conditions of the built environment, the physical aspects, characteristics of the building, its siting, uh, its footprint, uh, if nothing else, so, again, the building's footprint regarding uh, aspects of the floor plan. Do I, is it open or closed? Do I have conditions regarding the uh, number of compartments, elevations, access, the number of floors? Uh, those are all going to be very, very critical. And then as they relate back to compartment considerations, they are going to also be inclusive of 
what's my square footages, what's my cubic footages, the volume, is there connectivity, access, egress locations, uh, what's my fire load, what's my occupancy load. So it's not only fire load related back to fire suppression ca uh, characteristics, but what's my occupancy load of that structure as it relates to operational demands. Some of the other considerations, so that's just the, the fire or the building read, and even the standpoint of the number of, of uh, vehicles. Uh, I'm going to a residential, I'm going to multiple occupancy, and some of them are more suburban uh, or, or larger um, accessibility or garden apartments. Again, I, I show up to a garden apartment uh, related fire, and it's uh, 11 o'clock in the morning. The likelihood of many cars being present, although there are going to be fewer, is going to give you some indication, especially from the front of the building, uh, based on proximity of the parking spaces, what your occupancy load may be suggested. It's not always going to be definitive, but it might be suggested. But it's going to be entirely different when you're showing up on a, on a job at a garden apartment and that parking lot is completely full with vehicles, which, again, is increase the occupancy load which increases the demands on resource needs and so forth. So uh, just some different aspects of the fire ground conditions dealing with uh, the reading the fire ground and some aspects of uh, the uh, considerations for the building. So I talked about roof, perimeter walls, floors, uh, the compartment, uh, floors and or ceilings, again, with, with especially in multiple conditions, the compartment considerations in the absence of presence of void. That is so critical because, again, the voids are going to be the avenues in which fire travel communicate, and in some buildings and in some construction conditions, especially on the anatomy, uh, the voids are going to be uh, critical in terms of uh, decision-making, building performance characteristics, and so forth. When we read the building, reading the building just inclu is inclusive of identifying, again, era and vintage, when was the building uh, possibly built. Sometimes it's very definitive. Sometimes we know. Sometimes, again, it's going to be a good but it has to be an educated guess based on some parameters of assessing the building based on roof construction, perimeter walls, uh, location. Is it uh, in situ? In other words, is that building uh, consistent with other surrounding buildings or is it an outlier? Does it relate back to a building that's been modified, adaptively reutilized or reutilization? Is there cosmetic or structural changes to that building? But, again, there's going to be considerations in identifying structural support, structural systems, Structural, non-structural, structural loads, both live, dead loads, and, again, primary, secondary, and what very well may be aesthetic-related conditions. And those are just a couple of, of key elements regarding the building's read. So the other aspect of that, when I'm doing a building read uh, go, that goes beyond the anatomy portion of it, I'm looking at, from, from an anatomy standpoint, uh, from, from the smallest level to the highest. So it's a component. What's the components? What's the assembly? What's my system? What's the area? What's the structure? And how does it relate back to the infrastructure? From a functionality standpoint, and again, we don't talk enough about this in our building reads. Again, do I have a non-structural? Is it aesthetic? Is it semi-structural that has a relationship back to support? And again, that gets into a whole different aspect of loading capacities. Um, is that structural aspect or component, assembly or system? Is it functional? And um, is it structural critical? And structural critical is very, very important when we talk about compartment fire and those conditions. Then the other parts of that get, get into, again, uh, assemblies, systems, components, monolithic conditions, and so forth. So just a couple of little aspects on uh, some of the conditions dealing with the building's reads. Um, when we take a look at the occupancy, and again, these are those five fundamental pieces. When I'm doing my occupancy evaluation. I'm looking at the type, what's my classification, the type, the function, 
air and vintage, there's predictability performance, there's a whole aspect of risks, hazards, profiling, goes back to the layout. Do I have, uh, what's my configuration and layout? Floors to compartments, floors to other compartments, square footages, volume, height, connectivity, horizontal, vertical, open, close, and open and close primarily means do I have open uh, egress and access, do I have a lot of windows, or is it more of a enclosed structure? Occupancy load, and then also status and usage. Uh, when we take a look at the footprint, I, did, I failed to mention a couple of things. The footprint configuration, and talking about the layout, also is it a standalone, is it attached, is it part of a group, is it part of a complex, is it part of a campus, park, district, and again, proximi uh, prox proximity and our exposures and those relationships to our levels of risk. Um, there are a series of things that one would look at for compromise and collapse related to probabilities. Uh, and all I'll say here for that is both internal and external. There's a different level of scope for isolated, limited. There's areas, uh, uh, aspects dealing with massive, monolithic, catastrophic, severity, degree uh, of compromise, breach, separations, failures, collapse considerations, and then the probability of unlikely, seldom, occasional, likely, or frequent. So, uh, and again, I, I apologize for sort of just running through a couple of these things, but I just want to get a couple of quick little aspects across relative to those things. Within the compartment, too, um, there's a whole series of cascading aspects relating back to the compartment's resiliency, integrity, and time. The resiliency, integrity, and time uh, really have a main component as it relates first and foremost to the compartment, but then also as it relates back to the overall building. Because ultimately, what may affect the compartment, whether we have fire doors, whether we have a certain type of material for interior uh, compartmentation, do I have firewalls, do I have some type of rating system? These are all code-related bases that all ultimately have an influence back on the time component. The time component becomes a very, very critical element that we do not talk nearly enough about, but we have expanded and really have elaborated and integrated the time expanse especially when we talk about tactical windows from time of arrival, first 10 to 15 minutes duration of time, uh, which is inconsistent with some of the methodologies and models that utilize the 20-minute rule on, on the fire ground, which are antiquated. They are continue to be anecdotal in many jurisdictions uh, on a very large-scale basis still utilize the 20-minute rule with fire chiefs and fire personnel when questioned have no idea what the basis of the 20-minute rule is. And again, in many instances, the building does not give us the latitude and luxury of that expanse of time to make decision-making or utilize benchmarks at 20-minute duration uh, versus building failures or other adverse conditions occurring typically at a much uh, earlier stage uh, of time. So there are some, some aspects that are, that are very, very crucial. Uh, just uh, a couple of items here when we're talking about fire dynamics uh, on the compartment. I'm not going to get into details, but there is a cascading element dealing with fire intensity, fire growth, especially with what we are learning about uh, rate of heat release, heat release rates regarding the compartment. Uh, some of the suggested uh, insights coming out of a couple of the different studies regarding the compartment, whether it be concealed and or occupiable or functional spaces, as it relates to, again, heat release rates, fire intensity, fire severity, and its relationship back on the structure. So it all fundamentally goes back to not only fire propagation, but fire exposure and duration. 
Uh, do I have something that's going to burn? Do I have something that's going to be affected by heat impingement? Will the flame, direct flame impingement, affect something? And at what duration of time? So that delta time becomes a very, very critical portion when we read the compartment, as we read the building, as we read the fire. And the best way to describe this other connection of reading the compartment as it relates to building structural fires is what many of you have developed some skill sets in uh, based upon the concepts that, again, have been around for uh, certainly in the last uh, 15 to 18 years, if not longer, we talk about reading smoke. Chief Dave Dotson introduced the concept of reading smoke. And, uh, again, there's uh, a number of individuals working nationally that are continuing that advocacy, continuing with the uh, training programs, talking about reading smoke as it relates back to the compartment. And, again, we've just introduced and, and continued the continuity of that concept because it is fundamental. It is so, so fundamental. And then ultimately the, the fourth read is, is the company component, and that goes back to capabilities, function, operational aspects of the company. Uh, some are going to be evaluational and variables, and those variables may be I've got my mutual aid company coming in, and you're looking or you're hearing the voice down there, you're seeing the company as they arrive, and you're saying to yourself, uh, this is not going to be a good day because what you've been dealt with regarding that capabilities of that of that crew of that company however many or few uh, is going to be directly related back to experience knowledge skills physical capabilities uh, what is the composition do I have probationary or young firefighters along with some senior members uh, what's the composition are there going to be elements there that are going to be consistent to be able to be plugged into the incident or are there going to be potential human performance uh, gaps, efficiencies, or deficiencies that may affect uh, the overall operations? And unfortunately, we don't put that aspect into place, and that company's knowledge, skills, and abilities, its human performance element, and the amount of time that it may take them to perform the function are considerations. They are, they are critical benchmark considerations that, will, that highly suggest that they will influence fire ground decision making. And if you are not considering that, then again, I would just, I would, I'll try to be politically correct here. I, I would highly suggest too that uh, there may be deficiencies in your plans and your plans may not be executed based upon good, effective, critical thinking, but more often than not, they may just uh, represent uh, brute force, physical uh, determination, and, and yes, that's what gets the job done at the end of the day, but uh, sometimes they represent a lot of luck and not uh, a lot of the other aspects based upon those uh, considerations. So, and again, when we talk about priorities, we talk about uh, relationships, it's the elapse of time that is going to be the influencing factor. Ultimately, we are looking at performance capabilities of that company, and it gets into a whole variety of different considerations that we talk about that we actually referred to as, as the melt, most error-likely tactics. Uh, uh, there are human performance error barriers to, uh, that can be implemented. Um, there's effectiveness in communications. Uh, one of the simplest things that relates back to human performance is the three-point communications, uh, verification of communications so that we aren't assuming and again, some of you may have been involved in previous uh, uh, exercises where one individual will communicate a series of attributes 
and uh, communicate that to the next person. That next person has to repeat it to the third, to the fourth, to the fifth. And many times we see how that information ends up uh, short-circuiting, whether it be CAN report, whether it's size reports, whether it's uh, progress reports, um, benchmarking reports. Again, we, we have these failures that are built in that lead to these error-likely situations that may lead to, uh, again, these near misses um, or adversely lead to something uh, much more critical. So just a, a quick little uh, introduction on some, uh, some very high-level concepts talking about the building reads. There are four fundamental areas. There are a couple of other groups out there the, uh, that are doing some things along the same line. Uh, we encourage that. Again, uh, the more conversations that we have, the more different insights we have, I think are, are all good because they all contribute to a, an embodiment of knowledge, an embodiment of conversation that one can have. Whatever one group is doing or publishing or writing about or advocating, um, there's always going to be a continuum for potential improvements of these concepts. And again, um, the ultimate goal is to increase proficiency, increase fireground capabilities to be able to do the job for the public. And however we can get to that standpoint, um, it's not easy, uh, but certainly does take uh, quite a bit of effort when we talk about some of these different attributes. So um, we're about 60 minutes into our uh, program. We've introduced a couple of different elements. So we certainly can talk much more about any one particular piece, uh, whether we talk about Again, uh, we talk about the compartment, reading the, the compartment. Uh, we, we really didn't get into the, the details of behavioral issues, growth, propagation. I talked a little bit about severity level based on rate of heat release or heat release rates and so forth. Um, we introduced some aspects dealing with RIT, resilience, integrity, and time, and then gave you a little bit of insights, a little bit about some of the human performance uh, considerations as such. And again, even just the staffing, the resources, the availability, is there a uniformity in, in their deliverability, consistency? Is there a weak link, or is that company operating at the highest optimum level? And that's the goal. The goal is to achieve some, uh, a degree of consistencies amongst your companies that are part of that box alarm so that the variables of what I'm expecting from my resources can be uh, reduced or eliminated, which increases overall fire ground efficiencies, which leads us back into incident priorities and being able to execute it at the highest degree of capability uh, based upon the continuing elapse or limitations of time on today's fire ground. So our discussion uh, on this episode of Buildings on Fire, Taking to the Streets, again, revolved around the four reads. We gave you a little bit of insights. We just scratched the surface. Um, we got a little bit of time here. If anybody wants to uh, quickly call in, our guest call-in number is area code 760 454-8852. I'll stay on, on uh, keep our lines open and keep the uh, switchboard here on our uh, program and studio going. If anyone wants to uh, call in and uh, provide some insights uh, or uh, some collaboration here in our program. Again, it's always a heartfelt uh, thanks for our listeners that uh, are listening live. We always try to encourage uh, any of our live listeners to call in. Uh, we seldom get as much. Uh, we occasionally have our, our guests that do call in and get into the conversation, but more often than not, uh, we see our numbers and strength, obviously, in the downloads and such. I will say, oh, actually, I almost forgot. There are a couple of things upcoming. So we've been talking about reading the buildings, right, uh, and uh, some of those aspects. We talked about them on, on uh, the uh, 
Uh, first new battalion chief with Chief Danny Sheridan. I, again, I want to reinforce we published this on our Facebook page earlier and uh, as part of our promotions for our program here tonight. We talked about an upcoming Reading the Buildings uh, tour that we are conducting in New York City on Saturday, March 11th. Uh, both Chief Danny Sheraton and I are going to be leading and facilitating a walking tour, uh, starting off at the Fire Zone, FDNY Fire Zone in Midtown Manhattan, and finishing off down in Lower Manhattan at the FDNY uh, Fire Museum. And during that uh, full-day event, we start off at 8 o'clock in the morning, fishing, finishing off around 1,700 hours, just walking the streets, taking a look at a whole variety of different buildings and construction and conditions, both from high-rise to tenements to taxpayers to loft structures, retail, commercial. Uh, we're going to be getting into the buildings. We're going to be looking at different aspects. We're going to be looking down at buildings. We're going to get up on the high line and, and walk a number of blocks. So this is a phenomenal event, a phenomenal opportunity. We do have a number of spots that are still available. If you're anywhere within the tri-state metropolitan area of New York City and it's a quick ride to drive for you, taking the subway, uh, taking the uh, uh, train car in or just driving in, uh, or if you're anywhere on the East Coast, again, invest uh, in giving us a day of your time. Uh, we do have a, um, a online uh, promo going on right now. If you go on to Eventbrite, uh, and Google or, or take a look at the New York City uh, Reading the Buildings of New York City Tour. You'll find the link. We've provided the link on our Facebook promotion for tonight's podcast. The, uh, the link is also, if you go to the episode, Information on Fire Engineering, um, Blog Talk Radio, fireengineering.com, Blog Talk Radio, and you go to tonight's episode, um, they did provide a direct link. Uh, reading the Buildings Tour in New York City directly to the uh, website. So we've got a couple of nice little promo, promos there to reduce pricing. Uh, we are really trying to get a few more seats filled in. We are going to be providing lunch. We will be providing the tour package to get into the uh, uh, New York City Fire Museum, FDNY Fire Museum, and that will be our culminating standpoint. We're going to be looking at the Watt Street Fire. We're going to go to that location, 23rd Street Fire. We're going to be going to Hudson Yards. And, again, just a whole variety of different aspects. So please consider uh, looking at that. If for some reason the March 11th date doesn't work with you, we do have a couple of other tours coming up this year. We're going to be doing a Bronx tour probably this summer. We'll be going back into Manhattan and into Brooklyn into the summer and into the fall. So take a look at a couple of those items. I've got a couple of different programs going on across the country, uh, one in Baltimore, the other in uh, Columbia, South Carolina. Um, Boston, and Omaha as a couple of them that are currently scheduled, and those are live and online for registration. So with that being said, we're going to put a close to our episode. I want to thank you all for listening in to this edition of Buildings on Fire, Taking Into the Streets, talking about the four reads, reading the fire, excuse me, reading the fire ground, reading the building, reading the fire, and reading the companies. Hopefully you've got some quick insights in our very extensive scratching the surface conversation. So, again, until next time, companies are in quarters. Stay safe and be the best you possibly can be. So signing off until our next episode. Again, stay safe, everyone, and be careful out there.